friends, welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And the project is to work through the whole Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, over the next five years or so. So you're very welcome. Now if you're joining us for the very first time, I'd like to just uh, let you know that there is a transcript, copyright free, in the public domain for you to use in whatever way you find helpful. And that's always available in the episode notes uh, section of any audio version of the podcast. Doesn't matter where you're getting your podcast from, whatever provider you use, wherever you get your podcast, you should find a link to the episode notes. In there you'll find the transcript and also some ways in which you can connect to the ministry in other ways. But today we're in Genesis chapter 42 and we're in the second part of this conversation between uh, Joseph and his brothers who've come out of the land of Canaan because of famine and headed into Egypt to try and buy grain. And of course we know Joseph is in charge, has been put in charge of the famine effort and the administration of the nation of Egypt. So we'll bob back into the main text, and I'll hopefully see you again at the end. Bye for now. Okay, friends, we'll pick up the text in the narrative. This sort of interrogation, this back and forth between Joseph and his brothers. And if you remember, I've characterized it as a bit of a verbal sparring match. And I've used that sort of idea to come up with this perspective of there's been five rounds back and forth and we've reached actually, there's been four rounds back and forth so far and we've reached round five, which is at this point the text is telling us in Genesis chapter 42 verse 18. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go back and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. And that they proceeded to do. So what it appears to be going on here is Joseph is simply going to get them to prove their honesty. Now remember, he of course knows that they're actually telling the truth at this point. But he says to them, all right, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep one of you guys here in Egypt and all the others can go back to Canaan and you can take the grain back with you. But in order to prove that you're honest men and you're telling the truth, I want you to return and to bring back the other brother, Benjamin, back with you. So what do you think his motive is? What is Joseph's motive here? Well, let's keep going through the text and we'll find out. So this is the brothers now speaking. They said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen, and that is why this distress has come upon us. Reuben replied, Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen? Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them, since he was using an interpreter. So it seems that the consequences and the wrongness of their actions from 20 years previously has finally hit them, 
and they're feeling guilty. Now they've been carrying this guilt around, probably with a sense of denial, for 20 years or more. And here in this situation, they're finally being confronted with the situation of the selling of their brother into slavery and the possibility that he might be dead. And even that they may lose their lives now. And thinking about this terrible situation, they're thinking, they finally think about perhaps that this may be the consequences of their previous actions, which leads them to finally confess and admit to each other and perhaps to themselves for the first time the terrible things that they have done. You see, they believe all of these circumstances have come about because of what they did to Joseph. And in a sense, of course, they're right. That's exactly what did happen. A few years back, at the age of 15, a young Florida teenager named Robert Guff hit an elderly man in the head in order to steal some money because he wanted to buy some trainers. He didn't intend to kill the man, but the blow proved fatal and the police had no clues and Robert knew that it was very unlikely that he'd get caught. The reason being there was no witnesses and there was no link between the man he randomly mugged. But he was miserable and finally, after 15 years of mental anguish, and at the age of 30, he confessed his guilt to the police. And he was actually given a relatively light prison sentence, lighter than what perhaps would normally have been expected in the circumstances. And he was sent to prison. And after about six months in prison, he trusted the Lord, and he was saved. Now, some people said the sentence he received was too lenient, but this is what he said from his prison cell, incarcerated. He said, I've been in my prison cell for six months of my 15-year sentence, but you need to understand I've been incarcerated in my mind already for 15 years, and there has been no comparison. The way I felt on the outside was far worse than the punishment that I accept I must now face. That's interesting, and I think... That's a little bit of where the brothers have got to. These brothers have been carrying around the guilt of these events when they sold their brother into slavery for 20 years. In fact, they now have finally just said, you know what, what we did was wrong and we deserve to get what we've done because of this. And this is the point where Reuben steps up and says, because remember he counseled against it at the time, I know we shouldn't have done this. Now they're having this conversation about these events from previous years and they're having them this conversation in front of Joseph but they don't know that Joseph understands everything they said. The reason being that he has spoken through an interpreter up to this point as a way, a strategy to stop them from recognising him. So what a scene. They're talking about the guilt of what they did to Joseph all those years ago not actually realising they're in the presence of the same Joseph himself. He has spoken through an interpreter, and of course he's probably dressed in Egyptian garb, so there's no way that they are really recognising who he really is. Now what happens next, I think, is a small verse, but it's a significant part of the story. It just appears as an aside, but I think it's important. When it tells us he, that's Joseph, turns away from them and began to weep. 
But then he came back and spoke to them again, and he had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. So underneath this show of firmness and authority, this tells us he's remaining tender-hearted towards his brothers, in spite of all they did to him those 20 years ago. In fact, he has to go to one side and have a cry because of the compassion he feels towards them. But then he returns to them again and he takes Simeon from them and ties him up in front of them. All right, I feel I need to pause for just a second at this point. So what's his motive? What's he doing and why is he doing it? Well, I think it's important to say that I do not believe that any of this is done out of revenge. He's not retaliating in any way. In fact, of course, he's letting nine of them go back with the food. He's just wanting to arrange things so that he can see Benjamin again. And of course, ultimately, he wants to see his father again and reunite the whole family. So he's seeking reconciliation, not revenge. What is motivating him is that reconciliation. But the thing that really struck me as I studied the message is the fact that he weeps and he remains tender-hearted towards them all throughout this process. There's a verse in Ephesians that tells us to let all wrath and anger and clamour and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be tender-hearted, forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. I think that's one of the most significant verses about the spiritual life in all of the New Testament. It reminds us to remain tender-hearted towards people, especially people who have wronged us. So think about what's happened to Joseph. He got lied against by Potiphar's wife. He was forgotten by the cupbearer in spite of delivering the good news to him of his impending release. And of course, he was abused, thrown into a pit and then sold into slavery by his brothers 20 years previously. And through all of these circumstances, through all of these events, it's apparent that he has not got bitter or resentful, but he has remained tender-hearted towards his brothers. But we also need to notice that at the very same time as holding on to this well-disposed disposition, he is testing them. He is testing what they say. He is testing to be sure that they have a genuine, repentant attitude towards what they previously have done. And that's really important. This is an interesting turn of events, but it's a vitally important turn of events because we need to understand that on one hand he has forgiven them, but on the other hand he is clearly, at some degree, calling them to account. So this tells me that we can forgive somebody, but it is also legitimate to turn around and test them, to call them account, to check if their repentance is genuine, to allow them the opportunity to prove it's genuine. So can you forgive someone and at the same time call them to account? I believe this passage says, yes, you definitely can. I do believe that we should always try and remain well disposed to people and forgive them, particularly when they've done us an injustice. But it is also entirely reasonable if someone has done a gross injustice to you, like being done to him, you don't necessarily 
have to just take it as read that everything's fine and trust them again without testing to see if they've really changed their attitude and their repentance is genuine. They can be forgiven. In fact, you should forgive them. But sometimes people need to be given the opportunity to demonstrate that they have changed before you need to trust them again in that sort of way. So in certain situations, forgiveness is not the issue. In a sense, that should always be offered and should always be there. But the issue for you and for them may be is they still need to be tested to see if they have genuinely learned what they have done. To say the same thing another way, God will sometimes let people suffer the consequences of their own sin and their own stupidity. Which also means that God will sometimes let us suffer the consequences of our own sin and stupidity. As a simple maybe a bit of a silly but a straightforward example if you were to go out and get drunk and fall over and break your leg God may very well forgive you if you turn to him and have genuine repentance about your action but that doesn't mean he's going to heal the leg instantaneously he's going to let you hobble around with a cast and crutches just like everybody else and I think there's something like that going on here you should forgive always you should forgive those who trespassed against you no question you should keep a tender heart towards people at all times absolutely but at the same times it is entirely reasonable maybe even actually wise sometimes to test that relationship in the future joseph is not retaliating he's testing the genuineness of their repentance he's going to send them back but he wants them to return with the youngest brother, Benjamin, because he wants to be reconciled with all of his brothers and the whole family. So let's just pick up the next part of the story. So they're on their way back. Joseph gives bank orders to fill the bags of grain and to put each man's silver back in the sack and he gives them provision for their journey. And after this was done for them, he loaded the grain on the donkeys and they left. Do you see what happened there? He's planted the money back in the satchels with the grain and the brothers don't even know it. Verse 27 At the place they stopped for a night, one of them opened the sack to get feed for his donkey and he saw the silver in the mouth of his sack. Now one commentator I read said they were 250 miles down the road when this event occurred. And it would have taken him three weeks to get to this point in the journey. Now I'm not quite sure how he knows that. That's beyond me how he worked that out in that exact way. But I think it's interesting. But I do know that Bible experts who understand the original language used here do say the words chosen suggest that these events regarding the discovery of the money didn't happen on the first night or the next night. At any rate, we can reasonably assume they're well out of town when they've discovered the money. The narrative continues. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is, in my sack. Their hearts sank and they turned to each other trembling and said, What is this that God has done to us? So they're thinking now, we're going to get accused of stealing back the money on top of everything else. 
and they say why is this happening what is god doing why is god allowing all this to happen why is he allowing this to happen and it's not surprisingly it tells us they're afraid now when they came to their father jacob in the land of canaan they told him what had happened they said the man who is lord of the land spoke harshly to us and treated us as though we were spying in the land but we said to him we are honest men we are not spies we are twelve brothers sons of one father and one is no more and the youngest is now with his father in canaan now look very carefully and see if you can pick out any obvious differences in the story how they relate it and how it originally happened a few verses ago picking up at verse 33 the man who is lord over the land said to us this is how i will know whether you are honest men leave one of your brothers here with me and take food for your starving households and go but bring your youngest brother to me so i will know that you are not spies but honest men then i will give you your brother back to you and you can trade in the land so the question is did they cover everything that happened and report back everything that was said in the conversation with Joseph and the answer is no they didn't they left out a few you might say minor details but they left out some details nonetheless they didn't say anything wrong everything they said was factually correct it was accurate except in a sense they softened the whole account of things they didn't even mention the bit about being thrown into prison for three days and they didn't go into detail about the money because they were scared Jacob wouldn't allow them to go back. So they tweaked the story a little, shaved a little detail off the story. And then verse 35, as they were emptying their sacks, so now they're all emptying their sacks, and there in each man's sacks was a pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money and the pouches, they were frightened. So they've discovered that each of them have the bundle of money stashed back in the sack with the grain. It wasn't just the one who discovered it in the route back. It's all of them, all ten have the money in their sacks. And when they and their father see the bundles of money, they're afraid. Now the word used afraid and translated afraid was used in verse 28. But this time in verse 25... The word translated afraid is a much stronger word. This time it's suggesting that they're almost in near panic. So what's going on? What are they going to do? Well, we'll find out next time. Okay, folks, that's it for today. Uh, we'll close off this account of, of Genesis 42 in the next episode. As I said at the beginning, if you're looking at the episode notes of any audio version of this podcast, there's lots of ways you can connect with the ministry. Facebook page, my YouTube channel, and also the Patreon page, the place where I put uh, exclusive resources for those who sign up to that website. The plan there is to offer more <clears throat> discipleship-based training resources, teaching which will help you develop your spiritual gifts. And the first of those is going to go on in September with a 10 or 12 uh, uh, session 
teaching videos stroke uh, or audios haven't decided how I'm going to finalize that uh, on developing the gift of expository Bible study and Bible teaching maybe even preaching so if you feel that that's something you'd be interested in pop over and have a look at the patreon page you can if you wish choose to support the ministry there which enables the main uh, ministry that i have the bible project daily podcast to not only go on the internet for free but remain on the internet for free hopefully uh, ongoing so that's it for today I'd really like to say thank you for each and every one of you who have committed to join this uh, community of people who have made, made the decision to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of their daily lives. I hope you're benefiting from it even half as much as I am because it's a wonderful journey that we're taking on together. And if you find that you are benefiting from it, why not consider uh, sharing it, liking it, or maybe even reviewing it. Uh, share it and like it on your social media platforms or wherever you, those places on the internet that you, uh, you exist digitally, because then it just enables more and more people to find uh, this resource and to help them uh, study the Bible and let God's word, by the power of the Spirit of God, be applied into their lives. But anyway, I think that's it for today. I'll be back here tomorrow. I continue to covet your prayers that I might be able to maintain uh, the challenge, the wonderful challenge of, of almost uh, doing a sermon a day, if you like. It's not a sermon format, but teaching for 20, 25 minutes a day. So I'd asked, uh, I'd really covet your prayers to support me in that endeavor, that God would give me everything I need in order to be able to keep doing that. But other than that, it's bye-bye for now. I'll see you right back here. Well, it's tomorrow for me, whatever day it happens to be for you, when we meet again for the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.